Welcome to Faith Baptist Church, Great Village, where we believe in the truth of the gospel, building of community, and engaging in the mission of Christ. We hope you enjoy this week's message as our pastors share from God's Word. Yeah, our Be a Good Human movement. Have you been enjoying this? I hope so. I've really been enjoying this. I've really benefited from... I don't know what the appropriate term is, but like the repetition of what we study on Sundays is tied into what our daily devotions are, is tied into what our group time is. It just really helps to reinforce the truths of these scriptures. So we've talked about justice, talked about mercy, and this is week one of three weeks in humility. Three weeks in humility. I hope it's not humiliating, but I hope we are more humble because of it. When Jesus was talking about humility, one of the ways that he illustrated it, and the way that we're going to talk about it today, is humbling yourself like a child. Like a child. We're talking about children today. I feel like I'm hearing more and more these days about the good old days, you know, back when, back before, back You know, I wish we could just go back, right? I can't tell you how many times I've heard that just this last week. Maybe you've even said that. I've probably said it. But the good old days. You know what I remember about being a kid? I made a big list and then I scrapped it because I already have too much content. So long-winded, get ready. Um, I remember when I was a kid playing on the ground with my dinky cars like my son does now. And I remember thinking, I remember clearly having this thought. I remember right where I was in my grandmother's living room. I remember the end table was right here because I was kind of hiding underneath it. And I'm looking around at my uncles and my aunts and all the adults gathered in the room. And I remember having this thought, why are they not down on the floor where all the fun is? That looks so boring to sit on the couch and drink coffee, who drinks coffee, and talk. Why would they not want to be down on my level just enjoying the simple things down here on the floor with the dinky cars? Have you ever had any memories like that? Like the moments where you started realizing that adults were just different? (laughs) That they weren't like kids? Children. Becoming like a child, that kind of has a negative connotation to it, doesn't it? Childish. Like a child. Don't be like a child. Childish. You're acting like a child. Grow up. You ever notice how we rush childhood these days? And (laughs) the one tip that every parent gives to other parents is don't blink, because you'll miss it. Right? And I'm living that out. I'm living that out right now. But we rush childhood, don't we? We want our kids to be advanced. We want them to be at the next learning level. Are they advancing at the same pace of kids? Oh, your kid's already walking. Your kid's already talking. Oh, that's awesome for you. How come my kid's not walking? I wish my kid would... And then we realize, oh, I wish they'd stop walking. (laughs) I wish they would stop talking. I wish we could just slow this train down. I remember we were in New Brunswick at the local skating rink in Rossay. With some friends, we're out skating as a family. We've got Reese, he's probably a year and a half, and he's being towed in the sled because he's wearing one of these onesie snowsuits where he's like the Michelin man and he can hardly move his limbs and you just kind of pick him up and he's just like a stiff, you know, you pick him up, you lay him in the sled, you pick him up, you lay him in the car seat, you pick him up, you lay him in the crib. He's just like, you know, Mr. Michelin man. And so we're towing him in the sled 
And we get into this little heated change room area where we're taking our skates off and there's a dad sitting next to me. I don't know him, he's just from the community. And he says, hey, there's this new program that will have your children skating by age two. It costs this much money, it's this much commitment, and it will make sure that they are advanced, that they are ready, that they are ahead of the other kids when it comes time to get into hockey. Now, first thing you need to know about me, I don't care about hockey. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm not a true Canadian, I guess. I don't know. Second thing, skating by age two? Really? Like, my kid's just learning to walk. He's just learning to talk. And I'm going to put that much money in to make sure he can skate by age two? Why, do, why is it such a rush? Why do we always need to rush through childhood? Let's get it over with as quick as possible. Let's see if our kid can go to the next grade. Let's see if he can take these courses so that he can be... Why can't we just slow down and enjoy it? I don't know. Maybe that's just the season of life that I'm in. Do you remember when you were a kid? Remembering can be hard at times, right? Remembering when life was simpler. Like Steve was recalling a memory, and I'm, I'm going to butcher it, Steve, I'm sorry, but he, he was remembering coming home from school, getting the ball glove, and running out to the field as fast as he could to play ball with all the other boys and girls and all the people from the community. You remember when times were simple like that? And that was the joy in life, just getting together and tossing a ball. Simple. As time goes on, we experience life. Like it says about Jesus in the Gospel of Luke, he grew in wisdom, in stature, experience, but often we grow in cynicism and pride, don't we? It just tends to creep in, it just happens. Matthew chapter 18 is where I want to start at. Matthew chapter 18, we'll start in verse 1. Here's where we're at. Jesus is teaching. He's got the crowds around him. He's in Capernaum. He's just transfigured before them and become dazzling white, Moses and Elijah. He's just healed a boy who was demon-possessed. He's performed these miracles. And then we come to this question. At that time, that time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? What a question, right? Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? I wish I could say this was just an honest question. They just wanted to know. But I think it's really motivated by pride. This question is going to be asked again. It happens a few times in the Gospels. You remember James and John's mother approached Jesus this is just a couple chapters later. They approach Jesus and they say, could my son sit one on your left, one on your right when you come into your glory? And then Jesus gets into this conversation about how the least shall be the greatest and the last shall be first and the servant will be greater than the master. Rulers lord it over them. The rulers of the Gentiles, they strive for that authority, but it will not be so among you. Also, it's, it's a shame and honor society, somewhat similar to the social media of our day. You remember the woman at the well in John 4, 
Why was she at the well at 1 p.m. in the afternoon when all the other ladies were working on the meal, eating it with their family, cleaning up after the meal, spending time together as family? Because she knew that in the heat of the day, when all the other people had already done what they needed to do at the well, that she'd be the only one there, so there would be no public shaming. What does she say to Jesus? Why, what do you have to do with me? You're a Jew, I'm a Samaritan woman. What do the disciples say when they get back? They say, Jesus, you're talking to a woman who's a Samaritan? It's a shame and honor society. Shame was publicly displayed like the woman caught in adultery, as Steve discussed a few weeks ago. And then honor was publicly shown in the marketplace, in greetings, in titles, where you sit. The disciples are asking who's the greatest because culturally it's so important to them. Who's the greatest in the kingdom of God? So, Who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Verse 2. Get this picture. Don't miss this picture, okay? I want you to see this in your mind's eye. Jesus is surrounded by all these people in Capernaum, his home base for his ministry by the Jordan River, and he's calling to himself a child. He puts the child in the midst of them, and he says, Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven think about that. The disciples are asking who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Jesus says, don't don't worry about who's the greatest. Worry about whether or not you're actually even going to get in. Don't worry about what happens on the inside. Worry that you might not even be on your way there right now. You might not even be there. You're worried about being the greatest when you get there. You might not even get there unless you understand this. Like a child Uh, The term child there is peidion, a young child, a little child, an infant, potentially. Jesus says, guys, listen, you're worried about who's the greatest? You should be worried about how you actually get there. That's what you should be concerned with. When I hear turn, I think of repentance. Stop what you're doing. Stop this thinking. Stop this worldview that you have. Stop this cultural view of shame and honor, of trying to achieve, of performing. Stop that, turn, and become like children. We're going to talk about what he means by becoming like children, but he sheds a little more light on it right here in verse 4. Jesus says, whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child. So are you seeing this picture in your mind's eye? You got Jesus, you got the disciples, you got this crowd gathered around. I don't know who is in that crowd. It doesn't necessarily say. There's not a lot of questions from the crowd, so it doesn't identify specific persons. But you've probably got men, women, children, business owners, religious leaders. Maybe there's some Roman soldiers gathered around there in Capernaum. And Jesus says, you want to know who's the greatest? Excuse me here, soldier, could you... Could you just step to the side? Excuse me here, business owner, could you just make way over here? Excuse me, religious leader, could you just... Yes, you. The young woman with the child. Do you mind if I hold your baby? I've got a a point that I want to make. And as Jesus holds... Maybe this little girl. You need to humble yourselves like this child. 
because she is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. To enter the kingdom of heaven is to receive grace through faith. It's not of your works so that no one can boast, Ephesians 2. Humbly like a child. Humility is the beginnings of faith. You can't access faith unless you first step into humility. You can't access faith in pride. I just want to pause for a second and acknowledge some things. I was thinking about this this morning as I was putting this together. You know, one of the difficult things in preaching as a pastor, especially in modern day with the internet and all that, is you're preaching to a wide spectrum of people. (laughs) And you got 30 minutes to connect with each one of them, and I've just realized that's impossible, so we just need to preach the truth of God's word. Um, But I don't know where you're at on the kid conversation. Maybe someday you want to have kids. Maybe having kids is never part of your plan. Maybe you have kids. Maybe you wish you could have kids. And I just want to say, I don't know everybody's story in the room. I I certainly don't know your struggle. But I feel like as a pastor with kids, I talk about kids a lot. And I use them a lot as examples, as Jesus did, as we see throughout the scriptures. And I just want to acknowledge that maybe thinking about this whole conversation on kids is not as easy for you as it, as it may be for others. Jesus takes a young kid. Who's the greatest? You know, the understanding was in this culture, especially to Hebrew people, was that with age, with experience, with life experience came greatness, honor, wisdom and dignity. Look at Leviticus 19 and verse 32. Here's what it says. You shall stand up before the gray head, honor the face of an old man, and you shall fear your God. I am the Lord. Look at the book of Job, chapter 12 and verse 12. Wisdom is with the aged, understanding in length of days. In the Hebrew culture, old people were esteemed and highly regarded. The color of their beard just showed honor. In our culture today, we're kind of losing this, aren't we? Old people, they just need to get woke. They need to get up with the times. They need to catch up. You get Snapchat and get with it. I don't have Snapchat, by the way. But respecting your elders, we're really losing that, aren't we? Uh, We're going to be preaching a sermon series where we're going to talk about some of those things and remembering the people who have gone before us and so much of what they can contribute in wisdom and experience and in life stage. These were all things that this culture attributed to the aged. Jesus and his disciples leave Capernaum now. They head over the Jordan River. Crowds gather to him again. And in the next chapter, Matthew chapter 19, starting in verse 13, we have a very similar situation. And I hate to be so hard on the disciples because I'm pretty sure I would stick my foot in my mouth just the, the same way that they did. And I think we need to admit that on a message on humility. But look at what happens. 
Then children were brought to him, this is verse 13, that he might lay hands on them and pray, which was a common practice. This isn't totally out of the question. Can, can you think of any famous babies who would have been presented at the temple so that a rabbi could bless them and pray for them? Can you think of one famous baby who maybe that, right? Jesus, Simeon, Anna, you remember that story? The disciples rebuked the people. What would that look like? Jesus doesn't have time to kiss your baby. He's going to die on the cross to save the world, don't you know? He doesn't have time for kids. And sometimes that thinking kind of trickles in, doesn't it? Kids, why don't you go to your program so the adults can get some business done? Why, why don't we just remove the distractions so that we can focus on important matters? Do you ever think that way? And I'm not saying that everything we do as a church needs to be done intergenerationally with all the, with the kids present for everything that we do. There are churches that do that. There are benefits to it. But let me tell you, when I'm preaching on Revelation chapter 12 and I'm talking about a dragon crouching, ready to consume the baby as it's born from the woman Israel and my kids are sitting there and I'm thinking I got to explain this to them at bedtime when they're having nightmares, I can understand why we have a kids program so that we can talk about things on a deeper level. Rebuke the people. Don't bring your kids up here. But Jesus said, let the little children come to me. Don't hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. He laid his hands on them, and he went away. For to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. They're not just the greatest in it, but it belongs to them. One version puts it this way, the kingdom of heaven is made up of people like these, kids, children. Love that picture. You experienced intellectual adults have some things to learn from these young kids about humility. For to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. Jesus painting this picture of humility for the disciples in the crowd and for us. So what can we learn from Jesus' picture of humility, about kids? What can we learn from children about humility? Steve said this when we were discussing this topic. Little people can teach us big lessons. I like that. You know, I think the first step to humility, understanding humility, pursuing humility, is to recognize the pride in our hearts. It's one or the other. It really can't be both. Jesus' picture of contrasting kids with experienced adults, it does just that. So let's do just that, okay? So with the remainder of my time, I want to invite you to take the test. Do you like assessment tests? You see them on social media all the time, right? Which Disney princess are you? Take the self-assessment tool now. <laughs> what body type are you? Take the test now. Take the quiz. Um, Steve and I were talking last week about how old people are survivors, right? They've just seen some stuff. They've made it through stuff. Maybe they were in the war. Maybe they immigrated to Canada across the sea. Maybe they've already been through a pandemic or two. Maybe they lived through the Great Depression. They're survivors. They've experienced stuff. They know some stuff. Kids, on the other hand... They have very little experience, don't they? They know very little. 
And sometimes you feel embarrassed as a parent when your kids don't know something that should be obvious, right? They haven't experienced life. They're pretty ignorant and therefore they're pretty innocent. And I kind of like that. But the questions that come up are hilarious, aren't they? And they're totally, totally uh, legitimate and sincere and honest about what they want to know. But the questions that come up, why, why, why? If you think you're smart, just try and answer a sequence of three or four or five of those why questions. And pretty quickly, you'll get to the end of your knowledge, right? Like, why is the sky blue? Because we've just agreed in society that it is, so let's move on and stop asking silly questions, right? Like, we, we uh, went to Blake's Pumpkin Jungle on Friday as a family, and we picked out pumpkins. And on the drive there, I don't know how we got to this topic of conversation, but Jade says, if you love Jesus then you'll die. And we understood what she was getting at because we started to explain, you know, if you love Jesus, then you get to be with him in a place called heaven and you get to experience that even more so when you die. Even after you die, you get to be with Jesus. And then they got into a discussion about an uncle's dog who passed away a few weeks ago and if little Abby, the golden retriever, is going to be in heaven, are we going to get to see Abby after we die? And the questions just kind of spiral and you never know where it's going to end up. And it's hard to answer them. Really hard to answer. Kids just honestly, sincerely don't know. Adults, we think we do. Until we got to answer some of those questions. But I can just see this crowd, religious leaders, you know, thinking, becoming like a child, really. The greatest in the kingdom of heaven. What does this kid know that I don't? This kid's not even 12 years old, right? They haven't even had their bar mitzvah yet. They don't know the law. They haven't memorized the Torah. They don't know the Old Testament. What? I can't learn anything from this kid. This kid needs to learn something from me. Why is this kid the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Why does the kingdom of heaven belong to such as these? They don't, they don't know anything. What can I learn from a kid? So is Jesus saying that we should just be ignorant? That we just shouldn't know? That we should just walk in totally blind faith and just have no clue? That we shouldn't study? That we shouldn't educate ourselves? Of course that's not what Jesus is saying. He's saying humility is realizing you don't know it all. So here's the self-assessment tool right here. Question number one. You may, I'm, I'm thinking about Jeff Foxworthy when I say this, when he makes redneck jokes, but you may be a prideful person if you think you know everything. And at first we would say, yeah, right. No, nobody's going to say they know everything. That's just ridiculous. That's arrogant. But think about it. When was the last time that you truly admitted not just in a passive quick conversation with a friend where you just want to get it over so you just said, I don't know, but about a topic that you really sincerely cared about and had a lot of skin in the game on and had a lot of emotional attachment to when somebody was talking to you and you had to say, you know what, I really don't know. I don't want to throw anybody under the bus. I don't want to call out anybody in particular, but I'm having a lot of these conversations these days where I would love to talk to that person about Jesus. But what if they ask a conversation? What if they ask a question 
that I don't have a good answer to? Then you say, I don't know. And you say, let's share this journey and figure it out together. But you know, I I think as a pastor, I should be able to answer your questions about faith. And if I can't, maybe that's a reflection on my pastoring. Or as a husband, I should be able to answer my wife's questions because we're in a relationship. Or as a dad, I should be able to answer my kids' questions because I'm their dad. And if I can't answer the questions, they're going to go to somebody else. And then before you know it, they're teenagers and they're off and they don't care about what I have to say. Or as a friend and a friend comes and confides in you and you just want to be able to say, I know how it feels. I know what to do. I know where you can go. You just want to be able to say, I know. I know it. Come and ask me your questions because I know. And man, so many times we just need to stop and admit that we don't know it. Because the temptation is to fake it, right? You ever been in a conversation where somebody's clearly faking it, they don't know the answer, but they're just trying to talk their way around it until you get bored or busy or distracted? You've been in situations like that. I had conversations about my credit card the other day, so I was talking to somebody about it, and they made up some bogus thing, like, oh, you just gotta wait a month, and then it'll correct itself. Well, no. And then we corrected it. But we had to talk around the issue because they wanted to keep a confident front. Right? We do that all the time. Look at Job 38 and verse 1. The Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? You ever have somebody start a sentence and not know where it's going to end up, but they try and keep, they try and find their way through it? And they have no idea what's coming out of their mouth, but they're just trying to fill the comp. That's what he's talking about, faking it. Dress for action like a man. Put on your pants like a man, Job. Let's go. I will question you, and you will make it known to me, which I love the irony in that. This is God talking. What is Job going to make known to God? That's God's point. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Silence. Tell me if you have understanding. Humility is a great starting point for faith. Being able to admit we don't know everything. We don't have all the answers. We aren't a know-it-all. 1 Kings chapter 3 and verse 7. When King Solomon has the opportunity to request one thing from God. And now, O Lord, my God, You have made your servant king in place of David. Solomon has just become king. David, my father. Although I am but a little child, which means I do not know how to go out or come in. Can you imagine the pressure of taking over the throne from David, your dad, who is a man after God's own heart? I don't know what I'm doing, God, because I'm but a little child. And then God grants him wisdom. And he's the most wise, the most blessed king that Israel ever saw. Pride says, I know. Humility admits, I don't know. Therefore, humility is the beginning of faith. Self-assessment, question number two. 
you might be a prideful, arrogant person if you talk more than you listen. This one hits me right between the eyes because I'm going to stand up here, I'm going to talk for 35 minutes and I'm not going to hear a thing from you. Maybe an amen, maybe a head nod and I'm just going to give, 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 give. And I tend to do that in conversations. I tend to want to get my knowledge in there. I want to get my two cents in there. Do you talk more than you listen? You've been in a conversation where the other person did all the talking, right? And maybe you thought to yourself, I don't need to be here. This person can sit and drink coffee and chat all they want. I don't need to be here. They're not asking me my opinion. I'm not entering into anything in the conversation. If you want to get better at conversation, work on listening. Don't come up with great conversational topics. Come up with great questions that encourage the other person to talk so that you can listen. 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 We have so many polarizing conversations these days. I know you know that. COVID, vaccines, politics. Everyone's fighting for their opinion, it seems. You, you can tell like the first three words into the conversation where it's going, right? And whether or not you should bite your tongue, hold your tongue, stick your neck out, it's really difficult. And there are so many opinions out there, which is ironic that there are so many opinions because there seems to be so few people actually listening. As a society, we're saying more than we ever have before, but listening less than we ever have before. We have more information at our fingertips, but less time to sit and listen to somebody else. Irma Baumbach said this, It seems rather incongruous that in a society of super sophisticated communication, we often suffer from a shortage of listeners. We have so many ways to communicate. It is so sophisticated and technological and how many people thought they were going to be using Zoom 18 months ago and communicating with your social group. But so few of us are actually listening. Pride not only says I know everything, but it goes even further. It says, because I already know, I don't need to learn from you. I've got my mind made up. You can go ahead and give me your opinion. I'll counter it with mine and the conversation will go nowhere because we're both stuck in our ways. Do kids struggle to listen? (laughs) For sure. We're going to get my son's hearing checked again. Do they have a lot to say? Yeah, sometimes it's endless. Sometimes it's Two of them at the same time, you have no idea what's coming out of their mouths, but you just go, "Mm -hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, because you know it's easier that way. But you can't get around the honest, sincere curiosity, can you? The intrigue, the appetite kids have to learn, because they know that they don't know. They know it. It's like all of these first-time experiences, they soak everything up like a sponge, I said we're going to get Reese's hearing checked, but the stuff that he overhears and catches on, like we were were talking with friends a little while back, and one of our friends who's our age said the word stupid. And Reese, from another room, 
comes over, tugs on my pant leg, Daddy, she said stupid. They're listening. They're soaking it up. They're taking in information all the time. They're not calloused. They're not cynical. They haven't had enough time. They know, they're not know-it-alls, and therefore, they're not set in their ways. I know tons of older people who are set in their ways. You ever have someone start talking about a subject that you know a lot about? That you think you know more about than that person, so your brain just goes, click. You don't have anything to tell me on this subject that I don't already know. So I'm just going to say, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You ever do that? You ever someone start talking and your brain just turns off? Because what can I learn from them? What can I learn from them? James chapter 1 and verse 19. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Man, I'm quick to speak. I just sit in our conversation. I think, what am I going to say next? I hear their story and I think, do I have a story to top that story? Do you ever sit in a competitive conversation like that? You know the person isn't listening. They're just too excited to say what they have to say. So they're just waiting for you to get yours out of the way so that they can tell theirs. And they didn't really hear anything you said. Quick to hear, slow to speak. You know, when I have have a quick conversation with somebody who gives me their restriction opinion or their policy opinion or their vaccine opinion or their government opinion right off the bat, my first thought is, if they don't agree with me, that is, well, what can I say to correct their thinking? And how can I say it quick? How can I say something they remember that they can think about so that instead of thinking the way that they think, they can think like I think? 1 Kings chapter 3 and verse 9. Solomon is just becoming king. He admits that he's like a little child. He doesn't know how to go out. He doesn't know how to come in. And then in verse 9, he says, Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind. An understanding mind. You know what that means? A listening heart. A hearing heart, a tender heart, a heart that's open to understand. Do you remember King Josiah? How old was King Josiah when he sat on the throne for the first time? Eight years old. Do you know there came a king, a key point in his kingship where he had to make a decision? Am I going to follow the book of the law that we just found in the temple? Or am I going to continue on my own path with Israel? And you know what it says? He humbled himself. He followed the law. God responded with blessing because he had a tender heart, a soft heart. Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people, that I may discern between good and evil. For who is able to govern this, your great people? And God granted that request for King Solomon, didn't he? And he had wisdom, wisdom to be able to hear, to understand, to listen. The Bible is full of God's commands to listen. I mean, we've talked about the Shema, Deuteronomy 6, where it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, he is one. And Jesus is constantly saying, He who has ears, let him hear. And we all know that hearing isn't just 
the cognitive function of your ears when the sound waves come in and make those little bones tingle. No, it transfers into your mind and into your heart. Hearing, hearing ear. Humility is the beginning of faith because humility keeps our hearts tender and open to receive God's truth. To hear his small voice. To listen when the Spirit calls. You know what I think about sometimes when I'm just thinking of sometimes? Think about whether or not my house smells. <laughs> Do you ever wonder that? Because I don't smell my house. I don't smell it at all, actually. It smells normal. But you go to somebody else's house, it smells different, doesn't it? Not necessarily bad. Well, maybe bad, but sometimes it just smells like a different candle, different perfume. Maybe they got the hockey bag by the door. <laughs> Smells like the food that they eat that might be different from yours. So it just smells different from your house. One time, um, and I don't know what your view on Halloween is. I thought it was a great opportunity to get out and knock on somebody's door and get to know some neighbors with our kids. Um, and that's fine if you have a different view on Halloween. But I remember we were going door to door on our street and we get to this one house and we knock and it opened up. Ooh. It was just different. I won't describe what it smelled like, but it was different. Do you ever wonder if your house smells? Because we can't smell the air that we breathe most often, right? And if we do smell, there's something wrong. Or there's something good. Maybe there's cookies coming out of the oven. But that normal, everyday smell. You know what I'm talking about? Am I alone on this? I think about that sometimes. Uh, there's, there's a buzzword that's really been brought to my attention in this season, and it's this. Echo chambers. And I'm not just talking about a room that goes echo, 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 which is really cool. Um, but here's how it works. You tend to naturally connect with people like you. And you tend to segregate from people who are not like you. You gravitate towards people who look the same, smell the same, think the same, talk the same, have the same hobbies, same life stage. We tend to gravi gravitate towards people who are like us. And there is no greater place that this is seen than on social media. Because you get into social media and you're there long enough, it's curated to you. When you look at your Facebook, you are looking at your Facebook. Because... Who selects your friends? Well, you do. Who selects your interests? Well, you do. Who selects the ads that are coming up on the side? Big Brother. But how does Big Brother select them? Well, they select them based on watching what you do. Who do you not see on there? Well, the people that you've unfriended, people that you've unfollowed, people that you've blocked, the things that you've said, this doesn't interest me, click, gone. And then you're in an echo chamber. You know what an echo chamber does? It just repeats whatever comes out of your mouth. And you just hear the same thing back and forth. You get into groups of people who have the same political view as you do, and you just hear that political view nonstop. You know what happens? You lose the sense of smell. And then you go into another group that's different from yours, looks different from you, different life stage, thinks different, different political views, different opinions, and it just smells. Because you're used to your group. That's echo chambers. Echo chambers. Echo chambers. <laughs> uh, kids don't struggle with that initially. You know? 
they don't hold to a council culture initially. They don't have a segregated group initially. They play together, they discover together, they learn together initially. Question number three, this little self-assessment. You only connect with people like you. You might be prideful if you only connect with people like you. Might be hard to see, might be hard to smell. Other people can smell it. Um, Thaddeus Williams has this quote in Confronting Injustice Without Compromising the Truth. We've been referencing this book the whole time. He says this, this easy and wide road of writing off those who challenge perspectives lead us post by post into echo chamber in which we can no longer smell our own smugness and self-righteousness because they become the daily air we breathe. We just get stuck, get in a rut, stuck in our ways. Our heart gets hard and calloused. You only connect with people like you. Let me close off here as best I can. Jesus often referred to the religious leaders of his day as blind guides. The blind leading the blind, they fall into a ditch. They were often saying, show us a sign. Tell us something. Answer a question. And Jesus did incredible miracles throughout the scriptures. We looked at those not too long ago through his miracles, his majesty, his meekness. They had the signs, but they, did, they, did, they wouldn't respond, right? They just kept on going on their own way. Their hearts were calloused and hard. They'd already formulated their opinions. I just need to draw this to a close here. Kids don't know everything. Kids have a huge appetite to learn new things. Kids connect with other kids in the simplest ways, initially. We, we need to have humble hearts. Hearts that understand that we don't know everything. Jesus is the truth that we need. We need hearts that understand that we need to listen. We need listening hearts. We need hearing hearts. Hearts that will hear other people. Hearts that will hear the Spirit of God. We need some diversity. We need some people in our lives who don't look like us, don't think like us, don't act like us. Because we need to value the opinions of other people. We can't be so steeped in our ways. Humility is the starting point of faith. Because when we access humility, we're then able to access faith. When we understand that we don't know everything and we're not stuck in our ways and our hearts are open and humble and soft and tenderhearted towards the spirit and the leading of God, that's when faith has a chance to blossom and grow and develop within us. So we need to walk humbly with our God. We're gonna end right there. Let's pray together as we close. Father God, I want to thank you so much for your word. God, I want to thank you for what we can learn from kids. Thank you for valuing kids. Thank you for not just giving into culture and saying that performance equals honor or greatness is found in achievement. Thank you that your kingdom's different. Thank you that your culture is counter to our own. God, I want to thank you so much for the simplicity of this message that we just need to humble ourselves, admit that we don't know everything, be open to learning new things, open-minded, tender-hearted. God, teach us what it means to be humble. 
Jesus, thank you that you are humble. And as we get to look into next week, thank you so much that you are willing to take the place of a servant and to die even a death on a cross. Thank you, Jesus, for setting that example for us. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.